When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. It's June 1978 and Judy has a lot on her mind. Yeah, that was a hard year for me because I'd just broken up with a boyfriend about three months. But yeah, it was a year of change. It was yeah, 18, second year of nursing, long way to go, and just struggling with becoming who, who I am. Judy's dealing with the typical challenges of being a teenager, but she's also feeling rotten. She's taken into hospital with stomach pains, is diagnosed with appendicitis, and is rushed into surgery to have it taken out. When she comes around from the anaesthetic, she's told something really shocking. And it was at that time that they found out that I was also pregnant. She's totally confused. I was not sexually active, so how did it happen? Judy racks her brains. She looks back through the calendar and works out the date she must have got pregnant. But Judy can't remember much about that night, which is really weird. She's never had a memory blackout before. So she asked her flatmate about it. Did anything strange happen that night? Her flatmate remembers that Judy was brought home by security guards... She was found wandering the grounds of the nurse's accommodation in a total daze. Again, really odd and really out of character. But then it dawns on Judy. And it turns out that a young man who I knew at school had um, coerced me into going over and saying goodbye to him because he was going back to Canada. And um, I was roofied and raped. Judy confronted her rapist last year. And today, she feels like she's finally getting some closure. But in 1978, she was lost and confused. She had no support and she felt totally judged. I'm pregnant and everybody's saying, well, how did you get pregnant? You know, who was it? Oh, I don't remember. And of course, immediately in that day and age, I was just a dirty bitch, like a hoe. And the whole family, everybody other than my nursing friends, all were just like, oh, you're just ugh, worse than the worst. I mean, you're worse than a slut because you can't even remember having sex. And Judy felt her future closing in on her. I got to the point that I couldn't cope. I mean, honestly, it was like, what am I going to do? You know, I'll get kicked out of nursing. I, I've got nowhere to go except home, and that's not really what I want to do because my mother was really terribly judgmental. I'm Claire Crofton, and in this episode of Eyewitness, we're talking about the year one of New Zealand's most controversial pieces of legislation came into effect. The Contraception, Sterilisation and Abortion Act of 1977. First, let's have some context. The law on abortion in Aotearoa has always been confusing. So confusing that at the beginning of the 70s, only a third of doctors actually understood what qualified as a legal abortion. In the 60s and 70s, if you wanted to end a pregnancy, the process was difficult and in no way guaranteed if you could find a Liberal doctor who'd write you a report recommending an abortion at a public hospital, you'd still have to go through assessment committees, get the approval of four doctors, gynaecologists, the medical superintendent of the hospital, social workers and psychologists. And even when women jumped through all of those hoops, they could still be denied an abortion. And they often were. 
If you had enough money, you could go to a private clinic, but the procedures offered there weren't great. They were invasive and expensive, and clinics could still deny people. Some women preferred to travel to Japan, the States or the UK, and once abortion was legalised in South Australia at the end of the 60s, many women travelled there. But if money and time were short, some women went for DIY options, like drinking poison, using knitting needles and douching with hot oils or bleach. It could be lethal. By 1974, the Auckland Medical Aid Trust was set up, offering safe abortions and counselling. Liberal GPs referred patients there, knowing that there'd be less hoops to jump through. But not everyone was a fan. The clinic was illegally raided by police, and there were constant lobbies to stop the clinic working. By 75, the abortion topic was getting so hot that the national government commissioned an inquiry. And in the week before Christmas, 77, after lots of amendments and an epic all-night sitting, the Contraception, Sterilisation and Abortion Act was passed. There was a ghastly inevitability about the actual passing of the bill about three o'clock in the morning. Jan Clark had been involved in the campaign to reform the law on abortion in New Zealand, and she was there that long night in Parliament. It wasn't a shock because we knew, you know, the way the numbers were going. The Society for the Protection of the Unborn Child, a.k.a. SPUC, had a big influence. They claimed to have over 30 members in Parliament. The wife of the late Prime Minister, Norman Kirk, was one of SPUC's most high-profile supporters. Also there to witness the act passing was Dr Carol Shand, a GP who'd been referring patients to the Auckland Clinic for abortions. And nobody quite understood it, actually, when it was passed. Yes, the bill was still confusing. In some ways, the Act actually expanded the legal grounds for abortion, and terminations up to the 20-week mark were now legal. But it also introduced new caveats that restricted where abortions could be legally performed, and that meant the Auckland Clinic was forced to close, and it was much harder for women to get a safe abortion in New Zealand. So when the services all collapsed, we looked to, what are we going to do now? So what were they going to do? The Auckland branch of the Sisters Overseas Service, or SOS, has booked 43 women on flights to Australia for abortions during the next two weeks. In the weeks after the act passed, women mobilised. From Auckland to Christchurch, to Eden to Wellington... Women like Carol and Jan formed grassroots groups to help women travel to Australia for terminations. They called themselves the Sisters Overseas Service, or SOS. They published branch numbers in feminist magazines, newsletters, and the word spread. I just heard through the grapevine from the other nurses that there was SOS was available. I was given a phone number and said, try these people, and I rang them. Jan Clark, SOS. After summer 1978, Jan's kids were back at school. She had a bit more time, and it didn't take long to work out how she was going to spend it. But I can remember sitting on the top of the stairs in our hallway and juggling the, with the phone in the hall and a clipboard on my knee. She'd be at the other end of the line where women, like Judy, phoned their local branch of SOS. She talked them through their options and arranged their trip to Sydney so they could have a safe and legal termination. 18 hours a day, potentially, you had to be available from first thing in the morning until about 11 o'clock at night. It was amazingly busy. Between about 10 and 20 calls a day, 
it was exhausting at times. It was also exhilarating at times because it was such a necessary, worthwhile thing to do. And women were so appreciative. Yeah, it was just incredible. It was like a light at the end of the tunnel. When I contacted the women from SOS, they never, ever, ever said, how did it happen and what did you do? None of that sort of stuff. Because we were ordinary women talking to ordinary women. And if there's anything more of a universal experience than unwanted pregnancy, it would be hard to think of one. The conversations were all about providing emotional and practical support. It was all, we're here to help. Now this is what we're going to do. No, don't worry about anything. All you have to do is A, B, C and D. Yes, you need to pack an overnight bag. Yes, that's all right. Don't worry, we'll see to that. That's fine. Women were always nervous. Nervous but intense, upset. Because you know how it is when you are really bothered about something and you get a sympathetic ear and the feeling that you might get some real help. It causes things to get, you know, careful and a lot of relief. All those sorts of things. It was a very, very real human experience, woman to woman. Yeah, it was just like this calm cloud around me, which meant that all of a sudden all the other noise stopped and I could just get on and do what I needed to do. It was, it was a blessing. I tell you that now. I feel like it was a lifeboat in some regards. A lifeboat that was sailed by women up and down the country who'd rallied together in the weeks after the 77 Act was passed. Jenny volunteered for the Dunedin SOS branch. She remembers the urgency and the solidarity of that time. We came together because we shared a kind of common outrage that women's lives here in so-called democracy were just not able to be lived in the way that we wanted. Jenny took phone calls, but she also met women in person. My main memory is putting my daughter in the pushchair and going down to the travel agents and meeting either the women, the women themselves or, or their mother or their father and arranging flights. Then I contacted the clinic in Sydney. We had a wonderful lot of volunteers who just, they would take the phone for a week at a time and disrupt their lives. That's Carol Shand again. She was the one who got the whole thing rolling in Wellington. My role was as a trustee, so we legally set up the service and administered the finance. And we had a monthly meeting in my house where all the volunteers and the staff would come together and we would try and iron out the problems. Uh, and I was also, in the beginning, very knowledgeable about what clinics were available, and I helped do things like draft letters out to doctors around the country to inform them. As a GP... Carol used her medical connections to link up with the best abortion clinics in Australia. Most women paid their own way, but for women who couldn't, SOS benefited from donations. I was asked for money and I gave it. This is Lee. She doesn't want her last name mentioned. You know, $256.97 or whatever, towards tickets and accommodation, and that was it. Simple. In the 70s, she was a member of the Labour Party and used her political connections to push for reform. Certainly working for better laws at the time as well. Across the country, SOS got together with women's groups, like Repeal, to gather thousands of signed petitions calling for reforms in the law. The petitions were collected in Auckland, boxed up and had to be delivered to Wellington to be considered in Parliament. 
Lee was asked to drive them down there in her new car. The actual taking of the petitions to Wellington had to be a covert operation and there were rumours circulated that it was going by train so that any effort to steal or derail the uh, delivery of the petitions was averted. So a very covert operation. On a long drive down, Lee stopped in on a relative. I was horrified to see on her corkboard in her kitchen that she was actually the secretary of the local branch of SPUC. That's the Society for the Protection of the Unborn Child, the group that had been pushing to ban abortion in New Zealand. Which was the absolute antithesis of what I was hoping for and working for. But um, it was such a shock to just be sitting there having a cup of tea and just, you know, my eyes sort of moved to the right. There was a notice of meeting. Goodness me. Goodness me. Lee managed to hide her secret mission from her aunt, but there were some hairy moments. She was very interested in my new car because it was a brand new car. And I was really anxious that she would come anywhere near the big boxes of petitions that were sitting in the boot. Lee drove on down to Wellington and Judy boarded a plane to Sydney. The first takeoff ever in a plane, it's just the most incredible feeling. I can remember sitting there thinking, I'm on the plane for the first time in my life and it's not for something fun. I think there was about five or six of us, there was a group of us all going over at the same time. We didn't know each other. There was an older lady, but the rest of us were relatively young. It was really funny because we didn't talk about why we were there. We just talked about good things in our lives. Got there at the other side and it was a taxi bus that took us to the centre. And then at the end of it, it felt like I was free. But if I hadn't have gone and done what I did, and if they hadn't have been there for me, at that age, I was so emotionally mature I couldn't have survived. I had no support from family around it. I had no career and I had no opportunities. So, yeah, it saved my life. After Lee delivered those petitions to Parliament in 1978, Areas of the Act were softened, and by the 80s, it was possible for a woman to get an abortion in New Zealand rather than having to travel to Australia. The need for SOS was gone, and the covert organisation disappeared. SOS were careful not to leave written records of all the women they helped, but their legacy lives on. I've got an amazing daughter who was a planned pregnancy, and she's awesome. And I've done an awful lot about changing the world that I live in over the years. Now, I would never have been able to add any value anywhere if those people from me, so he's hadn't actually been there for when I reached out my hand and took it and helped me through a really terrible phase in my life. But since 1978, not much in the law has changed. Abortion is still in the Crimes Act and women still need to prove to two doctors that the pregnancy threatens their life, physical or mental health. The government is due to review the law this year, and there are thousands of women around the country awaiting change, and others hoping to stop it. We don't know what the future holds, but Judy knows how she feels about her past. And there's one thing she wants to say to the woman who helped her back in 78. I've never ever said thank you because I was not in a state to do so, but they're just awesome, yeah. These women bucked the system. And for that, you know, 
they should be celebrated. There was a gap that needed filling and they forged a way through to resolving issues which otherwise would have really hampered people's lives and children's lives. Unsung heroes. Tell you that now, unsung heroes. This episode of Eyewitness was produced by me, Claire Crofton. The engineer was Rangi Poek, and the executive producers are Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. We use archival audio from Nataonga Sound and Vision. You can subscribe to Eyewitness at Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, or at Apple Podcasts. When you're on Apple, please give us a rating too. That way more people get to hear about us. And if you like stories about our history, then subscribe to RNZ's Black Sheep, all about the shady, controversial, and sometimes downright villainous characters of New Zealand's history. Ma te wa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.